0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 24. In fact, we were going to try to cover Psalm 23 and 24 in our last lesson, but we didn't get that far. But we'll try our best to cover 24 and 25 tonight, the Lord willing. Now, this psalm is the psalm of the King of Glory, and in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That means all of creation. That means all of this earth. We're talking about the king of glory, and this is the king's possession. The earth belongs to the Lord by right of creation. The Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. uh, And all the things that are on this earth, everything was created by the Lord. And uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 26, says, For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. He quoted from one of the Psalms. And this one here in particular. The earth is the Lord in the fullness thereof. And he quotes another place signifying that the earth belongs to God. It's like Brother uh, Nichols' poem a little bit ago. We don't realize it all belongs to God and he keeps it all going. He he doesn't give us according to what we deserve upon it. We we don't deserve all the things that God has given us upon this earth, and yet he's given it anyway. The Bible says, Jesus said, he makes his rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. And... uh, The plowing of the wicked is sin. And then we find also he's universal king. He's not king of the Jews only, but he is universal king. The last clause, it says, and they that dwell therein. Look at that in verse 1. The Jews of old thought he was their king only. In fact, they're the ones that made him king. But we find that he's king of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19, verse 16. And all people are subject unto him whether they're saved or not. Christians belong to Him by right of redemption, but the whole world belongs to Him anyway. Christians have a special belonging to the Lord. They've been redeemed. In First Corinthians 6, verse 20, the Bible says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. And the earth is temporary because if you'll look at the next verse, he says He has founded it upon the seas. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods, it is a, on a floating island. It's a floating island in, the midst, in space. And it shall undergo a great change. Peter tells us that it's going to undergo a change. In the book of Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are, that are therein shall be burned up. He says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation? That means your walk of life and manner of life. How we live makes a difference, doesn't it? In all holy conversation and godliness. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth Righteousness. That's what we're looking for. This earth is going to undergo a change. And then we find in our psalm, keep your place where we're studying. We may quote other places, but keep your place. It says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? The question is asked. Quite a hill to ascend, isn't it? To the permanent dwelling place of God and the conditions necessary are told in verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Now, we know that there's not anyone that can truly meet these conditions but the Lord Himself. Because we're all guilty of doing some of these things wrong. We have not always had clean hands, and we have not always had a pure heart. We have lifted up our soul to vanity, and we have sworn deceitfully. I remember one of the Psalms... Uh, David said, uh, remove, in his prayer to God, he says, remove far from me. Now, listen carefully at the wording. I believe every word of God is divinely inspired, and I believe it it pays to take it in its right order. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Now, I want you to notice, David didn't say, remove me far from vanity and lies, as if vanity and lies are out here. And I want to get away from them. But he says, remove far from me like they're in here, like they're with us. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Get them away from me, not get me away from them as if they're out here. You see the impact of that? He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Get them away from me. They, belong, they are there. And I think the point is well made that we need to realize that we have not deserved to enter into the hill of the Lord. And uh, ascending to his holy hill or standing in his holy place by nature, but God has making it, made us different. He makes us different than we are. And then he says, "Who is it then that's going to enter? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully." Now then, that doesn't mean that the Christian cannot be brought to the place that he should not lift up his, uh, that he should not cleanse his hands by God's grace and find cleansing from the Lord. And we can find that cleansing. And also, we can have a pure heart because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. So only when He does it do we have these necessary things in our life. Jesus has always had them. But He can make us to conform to the image of His Son. That's God's uh, purpose, is to conform us to the image of Christ. And He's in the process of doing that now, and He will ultimately do it completely. Uh, In eternity. And then uh, he will keep us from lifting up our soul to vanity. Many people continue to do so. We should not do so. Remember old Jonah down in the belly of the fish? He said, They that observe. You know, he prayed out of the belly of the fish, and he was praying and praying, and said, Out of the belly of hell cried I, the weeds were wrapped about my head, and he says, I was cast out of his presence, his sight. And he says, He just threw this in. Just kind of a, a parenthesis. And he said, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Jonah, how did you come up with that? The fix he was in brought that to mind. And then finally he said, salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord caused that fish to vomit him out on dry land. And he began to get in a hurry to do what God told him to do to start with. Instead of running from the presence of God, he went into the city a three days journey in one day and he got the job done, didn't he? I tell you, you... If you're enclosed in the belly of a whale for a while, you might start doing what God wants you to do. And we all get there at times when we're in the troubles. And he was signifying the troubles that he was in and how he was sunk into the the very depths of the sea and cast out of God's uh, sight. And all this was happening to him. You know, God sometimes has a way of waking up even those that try to run away from him. And he did Jonah in in a short space of time. Anyway, let's get back to this. Notice, it says uh, in verse 5, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. God saves us from all of these things that we're guilty of and come short in. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then He gives us His blessings. Look, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. So the reward comes to the man that will follow the Lord. God gives His reward. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Three important things, blessings, righteousness and salvation. The Bible says in first Corinthians chapter one, verse 30, it says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Listen, of him are ye in Christ Jesus who who has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And then it goes on to say that the one that glories, let him glory in the Lord because Christ has made into us what wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. These four jewels of blessings of grace. And then we find the attitude. Look down verse 6. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek Thy face, O Jacob. Selah. And in the marginal reference, it says, O God of Jacob. Okay, the generation that seek Him. This is the attitude of the true seed of Abraham. This is the attitude that those that look to God, that seek Him. Now, we do not by nature seek God. Just as Adam, by nature, and after he had sinned, did not seek God. In fact, he was hiding amongst the trees of the garden. He did everything but seek God, and God had to come seeking him. And he came and he said, Adam, where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice, and I was afraid, and I hid myself. He said, what made you afraid? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Adam said, Yes. He said, the woman, he didn't say yes. He said, the woman you gave me. She gave it to me and I did eat. The woman says, No, the devil made me do it. Right? He said, the serpent. So the Lord starts with with, with the serpent, and then he comes back to the woman, and then he comes back to the devil. I mean comes back to man. He starts with the devil comes back to the woman, and then to man. So he he retry, he gets to the root of it. And He works His way back to Adam that blamed it on the woman to start with. You see, God knows how to come and do justice and judgment in all things, doesn't He? When when I blame you, okay, He's going to start with me first and then He's going to come to you and then He's going to work His way back up to where it belongs. So we find that God has a perfect order in His way of dealing with situations. My, if we could learn the wisdom of God of how to deal with situations. We need to pray like old Solomon of old When he was first made king, he says, I'm but a child. I don't know how to rule. I don't know how to govern. I don't know how to lead this so great a people. Every pastor needs to have that prayer. And if he doesn't, he's in trouble. I'll guarantee you. Plenty of it. And then we come to verses 7 through 10 and we'll read them. Look, it says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. This is, who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord... Uh, mighty in battle. Let's notice those two verses and then we'll read the last two. We're talking here about uh, Christ and being the King of glory. And lift up your heads, O ye gates, as if entering the heavenly gates, not the gates of Jerusalem below, but the heavenly gates of the heavenly Jerusalem. And we're to lift up our heads or in view, it may be anticipating the ascension of Christ into the presence of God And the the, uh, angels and the spirits of just men made perfect, and those in glory waiting to receive him. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Open the gates for the King of glory and let him come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He's all powerful, isn't he? And then it repeats it again. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. It repeats that is to emphasize. We may be talking here about the ascension of Christ. You know, in the book of 1 Timothy, let me see if I can find it. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at it, if you will. If you don't have time, just listen to it. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, it says this. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here is the, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest, look at this, God was manifest in the flesh, that's the incarnation of Christ, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and look, received up into glory great is the mystery of godness it starts with the incarnation it talks it talks about him being justified in the spirit scene of angels we know angels ministered to him time and time again even in the great wilderness temptation and at other points of time but then we find and it says uh priest a uh, scene of angel priest unto the gentiles not to the jews only it says believed on in the world as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And then it says, received up into glory. So that's a picture of Christ's ascension into glory. Well, I want to get into this next psalm. This is the second pinnacle psalm. It, it's talking about repentance. And it moves. this is a prayer that moves God. Prayer that moves God, the first part of the, the uh, 25th psalm. I want us to think of that for a moment. and get my notes in here like I'd like them. Prayer that moves God. Now, if you notice verse 1, it says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Prayer is soul work. It has to do with our very inmost being. Psalm 86, verse 3 and 4. Let me read this for you. Psalm 86, verse 3 and 4 says this, Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. It's daily work. It's soul work and it's daily. And it says, Receive the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. That's Psalm 86, verse 3 and 4. We need to pray to God from our very heart and soul. the book of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15 it says this, And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So in order for us to be heard by the Lord, we have to come to Him with our very inmost being. And then prayer has an element of faith. If you have our psalm, look at verse 2. Oh, my God, I trust in Thee. Let me, let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Follow that down. Verse 2 now. Faith. It must have an element of faith. Oh, my God, I trust in Thee. If we pray to God, we must trust in God. There's no need to pray unless you trust or believe. Trust means to have faith, to believe. The Bible says, without faith, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Now listen, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, listen carefully, must believe that he is. That's easy enough for some people. Yeah, God is. Yes, they believe that. And, listen, here's the faith. And that he is the rewarder, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So you must trust him to answer that prayer. Prayer is soul work, and it has to contain the element of faith. You have to believe that God hears it and that God is going to answer it. The Bible says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Faith, shame, and defeat will be our lot if we do not uh, <clears throat> if we do not have faith in our prayer. If you look at verse 3, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. If we don't have faith when we pray, we may, be dis, uh, we may be disappointed, Shame means uh, several things, and not receive the blessing. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Shame and defeat shall not be confounded, the word says in one place. Not be disappointed, shall not suffer defeat, shall not be ashamed as far as shame itself is concerned. And verse 4 says, Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. God's will must be sought in our prayer. Thy will be done. Show me thy ways, O Lord. I want you to read in Psalm 106. 106. And I want to read verse 15. It says, And He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. God gave them their request. So we say that we must ask God's will to be done in prayer. Sometimes God will hear a prayer and give it to us in spite of whether it's good for us or not. If we just keep on saying, Lord, I've got to have this. And let, let me read the context in that Psalm 106. Let's go back and begin reading with about verse 10, if you will. It says, He saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. That's when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And it says in verse eleven, and the waters covered their enemies, there was not one of them left. They then they believed they then believed they his words. They sang his praises. That's when they were delivered. Now look, verse 13, 14, 15. They soon forgot his works. How many people soon are to forget God's works? And it says, They waited not for his counsel, they became impatient. And then it says, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. And tempted God in the desert. And remember when they wanted the flesh to eat. And they hungered for the onions and garlics of Egypt. And they were dissatisfied with the manna. They did eat angels' food. And God sent them manna from heaven. And it says in the next verse, And He gave them their request, but sent sent leanness into their soul. Sometimes you better be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. Then you might not want it after you get it. That's what they pray for. They say, oh God, we're just so dissatisfied with this matter. We want some flesh to eat. God says, okay, I'll send you some flesh. Remember the quail came and stacked up around the camp so, so many cubits high. They were just almost drowned in flesh. And when they began to eat it, it came out their ears. I mean, they ate to the full. And it made them sick. You see, God can satisfy your lust, and your lust will uh, make you dissatisfied instead of being pleased. You better pray that God's will be done. So in verse 4, look at verse 4 again. You have your place there. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Is that what we want to do? Know God's ways and know His paths? Do we want His leadership and and, uh, teaching and patience? Look at verse uh, 5. Lead me in thy truth. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. And he says, for, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Look, there's three words you ought to circle. Lead, teach, and wait. Lead, teach, and wait. We need to be led because we don't know where we're going. We need to be taught because we don't know how to go. And we need to wait so that God will show us the way. In Jeremiah chapter 10, let me give you this. And verse 23, it says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You get that? O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Well, if it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps, where is he going to get direction? The Bible says, order my steps in thy word. Listen, in another psalm. Listen carefully. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Can you get the impact of that? We need to be ordered in God's Word, and ordered step by step. We should not take steps even, without knowing where we're going. It's by steps that men go. You know, you don't go the whole mile in one one giant step, do you? You have to know the way and the path. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. That means to not not let any sin dominate our lives and control us and that we have to surrender to it and be be controlled by any sin or anything in our lives. We need to surrender to God and seek God's leadership. You know, I'm still convinced that if people will look to God's word, they'll find the way to go and the way to live. But the reason that they don't, many people will not take God's Word as a a line to guide them, as a way to guide them, as a Word to guide them. Everything you have need of, as far as your character, as far as your life, as far as your guidance is concerned, is found in this book. Everything. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what we're doing tonight, teaching. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. Now listen carefully. That the man of God may be perfect. That means mature. doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. Like some people claim to be. None of us are, by the way. And then it says that the man of God may grow up or be mature as a Christian. And it says thoroughly furnished, or throughly furnished actually, unto all good works. Truly furnished. That means completely within and without to all good works. It doesn't say a few of them, or part of them, or some of the good works. It says unto all of them. Someone says, well, you've got to have this instruction from this source, and this instruction from that source, and you've got to read somebody's book on some kind of key to the Scriptures, and somebody's other book on uh, how to learn and how to fo- follow it. and uh, Listen, read those things that will help you. I'm not against... I have a pretty good library, some of you have seen it, and I read everything I can read. But when I get up to preach, I declare one thing, and that's what God has said. I'll take others' input, I'll take others' knowledge, and you cannot ignore scholarship. You would be foolish to do that, because we're to be taught, and there are other able teachers. But we need to be taught in God's Word. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Okay, back to this. Let's uh, get on. We have uh, about ten minutes to get the rest of this, or fifteen. Okay, let's look at verse um, six, back in our text. And always hold your place where we're studying. Psalm 25, and verse six. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Think of God's tender mercies. And loving kindnesses. The Lord does not forget us, but we often forget Him. Remember, David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According, Listen, Psalm 51, verse 1. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. God has not only tender mercies, but He has a multitude of tender mercies. And He says, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51 is is, uh, David's repentant psalm. After he had sinned. And that's when he cried out to God in his great prayer of asking God's forgiveness. He said, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And he goes on and on and and prays in that repentant psalm. Okay, let's get back to this now. Verse 7 says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Remember not the sins of my youth. We need, you know, this prayer, uh, is answered because of God's goodness to us. See, he says, Remember not the sins of my youth. None of us deserve an answer to prayer. But we get it. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you getting answered to your prayer because you deserve an answer to your prayer? Not at all. The Bible says the Lord hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But he's he's dealt with us in mercy. As a father pitieth his children, even so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That's Psalm 103. But the thing about it is, uh, none of us deserve this answer. Someone said, well, I'm good, I'm righteous, and God you know, is going to answer my prayers. The Bible says, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. He didn't say there's not an unjust man upon earth. He says there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Even if there's a just man, he doesn't that doeth good and sinneth not. Now then, I know that James says this. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But he's talking about a righteous man made so because of Christ's righteousness bestowed upon us and by his grace that works in us. Not because we deserve it. But he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The verses next that we'll take up, beginning with verse 8, show us the character of God. It says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, will he teach sinners in the way. He's good and upright. And because He's good and upright, He will teach sinners to do good and to be the way that they should be. In Acts 11, let me read this for you. Verse 24, it says, let's see. Acts 11, verse 24. It says concerning this one, that He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. A good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. I want to show you something. I don't know if I'll finish this, but I'm just, I've got to give you this. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I want you to look at Acts 6. Remember when the apostles were uh, worried about the, the uh, daily serving of the widows and that they needed their daily uh, needs supplied? And in verse 2, the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. That's what the apostle said. We can't leave the word of God and go out here and do all the work of the deacons and serving tables and ministering to the physical needs of the widows and and those that are in need. says we can't do that. So there needs to be someone that will do it, right? All right, let's look at it. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. Now, I want you to notice this. Of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. I want you to notice those two things. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now, look. I want you to notice this. A man's full of faith and the Holy Ghost. They wanted a man full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Now, here's a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now, on down in verse 7, it says, The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and the great company of the priests we're obedient to the faith. And look, verse 8 now. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and of power. I want you to notice this combination. In verse 3 you have, Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Verse 5 says, Full of the Holy Ghost, Full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now then, Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God's Word. Where does, where does faith come from? Faith cometh by hearing, And hearing by the Word of God. Right? That's where faith comes from. It says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, verse 17. And then on down, what what does the Word have? It has power. The Word of God is quick and what? Powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So to have this combination of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit and of faith and of power, a man must have the Word of God deeply rooted in his soul before he has faith, before he has power and before he has the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And you show me a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit, and is filled with wisdom, and is is full of faith, and I'll show you a person that's filled with the Word of God. It's essential. It's essential for him to be filled with the Word of God. And so, if you'll notice that combination. Now, back in our Psalm 25, quickly, and we got down to verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Okay, the character of God. Now then, verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. The meek can be taught. Remember, Jesus speaks of those who are uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He said also, uh, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember Brother Meek that visits us? uh, Friends of uh, uh, Julie and uh, Brother uh, Wendell's from Odessa. Remember, he told me one time, he says, Meek, and we played on his name a little bit, Brother Meek. But he says, Meek, or meekness, is not weakness. But meekness is power under control. And that's true, isn't it? And Moses was meek, but he had power to take... His uh, staff and turn the waters into blood. And when God's power was upon him, he could do almost anything. Well, he could do anything God wanted him to do. And he did anything God wanted him to under God's power. And so we're talking about the meek. Look here, it says the meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach in his way. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth into such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. He has mercy and truth for those who are obedient. Look at this. Get that in verse 10? All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. In other words, unto such as are obedient to His Word, what do they get? Mercy and truth. I want you to get this quickly. Mercy and truth belong to the obedient. That belongs to those. Remember, it says Abraham, when he was called to go out, into a country which he knew not when he got called. Hebrews 11, I believe it's verse 8. Obeyed. He didn't know where he was going. But God called Abraham and he obeyed. He didn't have to know where he was going. You ever heard the old story about the fellow said, well, uh, if if the Lord told me to go jump through that brick wall or block wall, it would be my business to go and jump through and it would be God's business to make the door. And that's exactly how it is. We're to obey God and Abraham didn't know where he was going until a place that he didn't know where he was going. You read Hebrews 11, verse 8. Let me read it for you. Sometimes we just quote these things. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. He obeyed just because God said. By the way, that's what preachers do. When God calls you to preach, you don't know what's going to happen. But you just do it because God said to do it. That's why I did. And people told me, you can't do this. People told me a lot of things along the way. And I've been in this church, what? We celebrated our 36th anniversary, didn't we? Sunday. 36 years. And I was. I spent over half of my life as pastor of this church. Over half of my life. And I'll be 68 March the 2nd. Now you know how old I am. But anyway, the thing about it is, God... When God tells you to do something, He's going to see to it that you have the, uh, the tools to do it with. He's going to help you. He's going to help you do what He tells you to do. The, the mercy and truth are to the obedient. And then verse 11, notice it says, For my name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. His pardon is for sinners who are willing to confess their sins. The Bible says he that confesses his sin uh, will, you know will prosper. He's, that, for, that hides his sin is a terrible thing to try to hide your sin. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let me read Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Listen. Forsake the wicked ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So it takes repentance, doesn't it? And pardon will be received. It takes confession. First John nine says, We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to hurry and give you this. Verse 12, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. The man that fears the Lord will be taught. You will not be taught if you do not reverence God. His blessing is upon those who fear him. And teaching and safety and prosperity... Blessings will come and friendship will come. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. If you want to get close to God, you fear God and reverence God as he is. And you can get closer to God. Remember John leaned upon Christ's bosom or breast at the supper table, and he knew all the secrets of the Lord. He stayed close to God, didn't he? And the secret of the Lord, he reverenced him. And the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Divine deliverance. Verses 15 through 22, and I'll hurry. Verse 15. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. He may treat us rough, but he gets us out of the net. Deliverance comes to those who keep their eyes upon the Lord. Verse 16, Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. When we're afflicted, God will deliver us out of our troubles. Verse 17, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Sometimes do you feel like they're too big to deal with? Well, but God says he can take care of them. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distress, distresses. Who can deliver us out of distresses? This is divine deliverance we're talking about. Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. We have forgiveness as well as deliverance. Trouble brings sins to our attention. Trouble that comes brings our sins to our attention. I'm reminded back in the book of Genesis. In chapter 42, verse 21-22, what the brethren of Joseph did unto him. And it says in verse 21, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. When distress comes upon you, do you recognize why it has come? Huh? Verily, they says we are guilty. Remember, they had took, taken Joseph and they threw him in a pit, and then they... When uh, they took him up out of the pit and they sold him into uh, bondage, into slavery, and they went back home, They, they took Joseph's coat of many colors and dipped it in blood and took it back and gave it to Jacob. And Jacob said, Oh, my son is rent in pieces, without a doubt. By the way, the blood bears a complete witness, doesn't it? Without a doubt. And he accepted that. And even though it's typical, it shows us that the blood is accepted, But then, of course, Joseph was preserved beyond death and in the sense in resurrection because he went into the new land, into Egypt, to preserve the life of all of them. And he underwent his slavery and his bondage and his affliction for their sakes. Okay, let's go on with this quickly. I've kept you five minutes after, but I got started late, so I'll excuse myself. Okay, in verse 19, look at verse 19. It says, Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. You know, there are great enemies against God's people. Jesus said in John 15:18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Is a servant greater than his master? Could we expect not to be hated if Jesus was hated? You say, Well, I want to have a lot of friends. I do too. But I want the right kind of friends. And I know if I have the right kind of friends, there's going to be some people that won't like me. Because all people do not serve God. And Jesus set a division, and those that follow him and serve him and live for him are going to be separated from the people that are against him and the ungodly crowd. And there's always going to be these two factions in this world till Jesus comes again. And then we find something else. Uh, in verse 20, 21, and 22. Let's look at it. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Here's faith. Faith. O oh, keep my soul and deliver me, and let me not be ashamed. He's the keeper of our soul. 1 Peter 1.5 says, You're kept by the power of God through faith into salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last day, the last time. It says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. We need to be real, upright, and patient. Let integrity, integrity, and uprightness preserve me. You know, a lot of people want pres- preservation without being having integrity and uprightness. You got you have to work that into your character in your life if you want the pres- preservation. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. In other words, there's patience again, isn't it? Now, verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Deliverance is needed by all of God's people. And God has promised us deliverance. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, and I'll close with this one. It says this. It says, Who hath delivered us, listen carefully, from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Look at that. Past, present, and future. Who hath delivered us, that's past tense, from so great a death. And doth deliver, that's present tense, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, that's future tense. Past, present, and future, he is our great deliverer. And we need to trust him for it all. Well, we thank you for your patience and your kind attention.